Praise God. Celebrating freedom. Let's keep our fingers. Um, yeah, we had a great week. And also, um, I'm just excited to be here with you guys to celebrate the freedom that we have in Christ. Amen. Are you excited to be here? Um, so today we have, uh, we have a great speaker who's coming up, but before he does, if this is your first time here at Emmaus, we want to make sure that you know you are welcomed, that we're so glad that you're here. Also, uh, we have uh, communication cards that the ushers have probably passed out to you. You can turn those into them now as they're coming up. And then also, if you need a Bible or if you would like message notes, you can raise your hand. They're coming forward and they can give those to you so that you can follow along in this message, which I already heard, and it's fantastic. This is the first of a two-week series from a dear family member here, Nick Zerwas. Would you help me to welcome him? Yes, a two-week series on the book of Jonah. It's kind of a mini-series because it's a four-chapter book, um, but we're going to blaze through it in two weeks. The story of Jonah, it starts like this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. No background, no setting, no character information, we just jump right in. The author just hits the ground running. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And to be honest, I'm kind of hooked. I want to know what's going on. There's a, the book of Jonah is written in the 5th century before Christ. And there's some things that the original audience would have known that we might not or we might need a little refresher on. So let me give you a bit of context to help us understand what's going on in this story. First, there's Jonah. Who is this guy? Uh, Jonah was a, a prophet um, in the northern kingdom of Israel um, about eight centuries before Christ, so a couple hundred years before this book was written. He was a prophet. He lived in a, in a small town called Gath Hefer, uh, and Israel split into northern kingdom and southern kingdom, the southern kingdom of Judah. He's in the northern kingdom of Israel, <clears throat> and the original audience, while they wouldn't have known much about him, they would have recognized his name because he has a few other prophecies that he had delivered to the people of Israel, and they're recorded in the book of Kings. So the original audience would have been familiar with that. They would say, oh, Jonah, we, we recognize that name, Jonah. So they're hearing this story now. So that's Jonah. Nineveh. Nineveh was the, uh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire at one point. The Assyrian Empire is, um, Nineveh is a large city, probably one of the largest in the Assyrian Empire, and probably one of the largest in the world, uh, 60 miles across. And as far as population goes, it's not large for now, but it's big for back then, about 120,000 people. Um, Assyria, so this, this uh, neighboring nation to Israel, was a known threat to Israel and to the rest of the, the world, really. Um, they were known for being idolatrous and proud and ruthless. They were, they were bent on conquering the whole world. And uh, uh, words like violence and terror and torture and brutal killing, these are the words that, that one would use to describe Assyria and Nineveh, its capital. In fact, when the, when the king of Assyria would go out and conquer a, a neighboring nation, he would come home with the other king's head, chop it off, carry it home, probably by the hair, 
And then he'd get home, he'd throw this party, and he'd put this severed head up on this like 15-foot pole. He'd stick it in the middle of his party that he throws. The party would last for a couple days. I'm imagining like it's rotting and there's flies and it's disgusting. And then after the party, he would take that head and he would put it at the front of the gates of Nineveh. So he'd basically like nail that head until it fully rotted and it's just a skull. So I'm imagining there's a bunch of skulls above the, the gate to Nineveh. Gross, right? Yes. But it's a clear message, right? It's a message to anyone who would mess with them like, we're Assyria and, and we need business. So, you ready? Jonah chapter 1, listen to these words again. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Uh, when I read stories from the Bible, I like to try to put myself in the place of a, a character in the story, to try to imagine what, what would that person be thinking and feeling, and how, how, would this, you know, how would they experience this? And so as I try to put myself in the place of Jonah, I'm imagining that Jonah would be somewhat excited to hear the voice of God, right? It's kind of a cool thing. It's happened a couple times before to him. We know he's got a few other prophecies. And so I imagine he hears Jonah. He says, yes, God, I've got a mission for you. What is it, God? I'll do anything. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach against it. Wait, what? I, did, I, I, thought, I thought I heard you say, uh, to go to Nineveh, um, but God, that, those guys are, guys are pretty brutal. I mean, you heard about the whole severed head on the, on the pole thing. I, I, I'm all for symbolism, but, but that seems a little extreme. I don't know, God, I, I, I'm kind of an Israel guy. Uh, I've delivered your message here a couple times before, and I will take any message you want to the people of Israel, but Nineveh, Syria, that's, that's kind of not my wheelhouse. What? Okay, uh, go to Nineveh, got it. Verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Remember, uh, Jonah is in northern Israel, a town called Gath Hefer. It's right there. And God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, which is east of Gath Hefer. Nineveh sits on the, the banks of the the Tigris River, the eastern bank of the Tigris River in what's modern-day uh, Mosul, Iraq. And it's about 500 miles east. So God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh, east, that way, right? And Jonah flees. He goes to Joppa, a port city, and then he goes to Tarshish, which is actually 2,500 miles that way, Right? It's, if you look at the map, it's modern-day Spain, and it's literally the most remote destination that he could think of. It's as far as possible that he knows he can get away from Nineveh. God says, go here, go east. Jonah goes not just west, but way west, right? The, uh, we're going to... 
Oh, this is one thing that's important. In in verse 3, we find out that Jonah is not just running away from Nineveh, but the author thinks it's important enough to tell us twice in verse 3 alone that Jonah's running away from God, right? Verse 3, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. And then at the end of verse 3, he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. He's running away from the Lord. And next week... Part two of of this series, we're going to get into exactly why he ran. It's not just a fear of Nineveh, and in fact, Jonah lays out his reason himself in in chapter four. Um, But for this week, what's important for us to know is that Jonah, he had a clear word from God. He he knew exactly what God wanted from him. The author starts the whole story with the word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to Nineveh, right? Right? There's no, there's no gray area there. There's, Jonah's not questioning, like, I wonder if, what God really wants me to do. The, the message is, go to Nineveh, right? He understands that. Um, he's not on the fence. One thing that, that we need to know about this story is that it's not just a story about Jonah. You see, the, the name Jonah, it means dove. Amittai named his son Dove. It's kind of a cool name. Um, and the, the name Dove is often used in the Old Testament to talk about the, the people of Israel as a whole. The people of Israel are called God's Dove. And so when the initial audience, when there's an astute observer in the initial audience, when they would have heard this story, they would have understood what's going on. Oh, I see. I see what you're doing. Jonah is the, the people of Israel. I get it. You know, there's lots of times in the Bible where you've got these examples of um, really faithful people where God calls and then later Jesus calls people and people respond. Um, People respond. You've got Abraham and Sarah who are called. God says, go to the land where I will send you. And they go. You've got God God sending Moses to to Egypt and he goes. You've got God uh, having Elijah face 450 prophets of Baal and he does. You've got got God calling Samuel and Samuel responds, yes, Lord, at your service. And you've got Jesus and he's he's going around, he's calling fishermen and tax collectors from their places of business and he just says, follow me and they do. They drop everything and follow him, but not Jonah. To Jonah, God says, go to Nineveh And Jonah goes to Tarshish, as far away as he possibly can. And when the people of Israel would have heard this story, they would have got it. Because even though you've got these examples of heroes who are, you know, kind of immediately obeying the word of God, the the rhythm of the, the people of Israel as a whole in the Hebrew Bible is that they're wandering from God. They're choosing their own way instead of God's way. God's call to them was clear, clear in the Ten Commandments, clear in the words of the prophets, and yet they would over and over and over again choose their own way. So it's a story about Jonah, yes, and it's a story about Israel, but wait, there's more. It's also a story about us, about me. When I read the book of Jonah, I see myself in the story. Sometimes, sometimes I don't know what God wants from me. 
There are times in my life where I simply don't know. Maybe it's this big career decision, or maybe it's this, this big move where I'm deciding, should I go here or there, or these big you know, opportunities that I have to make a decision on for my children. Sometimes I just don't know, and I, I wrestle with these big decisions, and I ask friends, what do you think? And I go to mentors, and I seek counsel from mentors, and I, I come before the Lord, and I pray, God, are you leading me this way or that way or this way? Or may, maybe, God, you don't, you don't have a strong opinion and I could go any direction. There are times in my life where I wrestle with those big decisions. We all do. But I have to say, if I'm honest, that most of the time, it's not those big decisions. Most of the time, it's not, I'm not wondering what God wants of me. Most of the time, it's perfectly clear. Those big decisions, you know, wrestle with this way or that way, it's pretty rare. Most of the time, I know exactly what God wants. See if you can relate to this. I usually know how God wants me to spend my time and my money. I know that God wants me to help others before myself. I know that God has called me to be a loving father and husband, and I know most of the time what that looks like. I know that God has called me to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. I know that God's called me to demonstrate love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I know that God wants me to put my phone down and play with my kids. I know that. I know that God wants me to sacrifice for those who are on the margins, for the poor and the lonely and the oppressed. I know that God wants me to speak out for those who cannot speak for themselves. I know that God wants me to care for the orphans and the widows and the immigrants. I know how God wants me to treat people. I know that God wants me to love my neighbor as myself. I know that God wants me to love my enemies. I know that God wants me to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. I know that God wants me to choose kindness over bitterness and gossip. I know that God wants me to serve others selflessly and lovingly. God wants me to be honest and helpful and empathetic. I know these things. These things are perfectly clear. I don't ever find myself going before God and saying, I'm really wrestling with this, God. Do you want me to be loving in this situation? Or is this more of one of those, like, do whatever's easiest type of things? Right? I don't go to mentors and say, I'm really trying to figure this out, if I should be kind and caring or if I should be bitter and, and if I should be kind of gossipy. Right? I, I don't do that. I know. And you know. The story's about Jonah, and it's about Israel, and it's about me, and it's about you. And what's true for all of us is that God's call is often, it's really clear. God's call for us is really clear. As, it's often as clear as, go to Nineveh. It's that crystal clear. And yet, so regularly, I'm headed in the wrong direction. I'm headed toward that boat to get, to get on my way to Tarshish. The story of Jonah, it's like this extreme example. It's like blown up hyperbole. It's like a caricature of a story where Jonah, Jonah's told to go 500 miles that way, and instead he goes 2,500 miles the other way, right? It's this extreme example. And it's like the author is saying, seriously, guys, do not miss this. Don't miss what I'm saying here. Jonah's not going where God wants him to go. He's going the other way. And a lot of times our lives 
they're not that blatant. The choices we make aren't that blatant. Sometimes it's just, it's just a small choice where we're, we're slightly compromising. It's just this one time. It's like a step toward Tarshish and away from Nineveh. But it's only one step, right? It's not 2,500 miles. It's one step, a slight movement away from where God wants me to be. It's one small step. And then it's another, and then it's another and a few more, and it's minor stuff. I know that God wants me to serve this person right now, but it's kind of a busy morning, and his timing's not great. It's one step. I know how God wants me to spend my money. I know that God wants me to contribute to this cause to help these people, but it's kind of nice to have a little extra money. One step. Right? It's not like I'm it's not like I'm bullying the oppressed. Right? I'm just not I'm not noticing them all the time, or or maybe I'm noticing them, but I'm kind of ignoring them sometimes. It's it's just a little step. But before I know it, I realize that Nineveh is a little farther away, and, and Tarshish is a little closer because I've taken the step, the step, the step, the step. And I know, I know what God's asking me to do perfectly clear. I had, uh, there was a childhood hero of mine who would remind me of this all the time. In fact, he would remind me every single week. He would tell me this, knowing is half the battle. Yeah. Every Saturday morning, he would tell me this as I sat in front of the, the TV for 30 minutes watching a cartoon about war. I don't even get it now. But... Uh, G.I. Joe, right? Every episode, for those of you who aren't familiar with G.I. Joe episodes, every episode ends with like this little mini moral lesson. And there's like some kids that are playing in a street or doing something dangerous. And the heroes come in and they tell them not to do that. You shouldn't play in the street. And the kid will say, well, now I know. Thank you. Now I know. And then the hero will say, and knowing is half the battle, right? So I, this was ingrained into me, knowing is half the battle, knowing is half the battle. I'd hear it over and over and over again. But what you have to think about, though, is if knowing is half the battle, it's only half, right? Knowing is only half the battle. See, I knew. Jonah knew. Jonah absolutely knew. He knew exactly what God wanted of him. He heard the voice of God. It was crystal clear. Go to Nineveh. Jonah knew. But knowing was only half the battle. The text tells us that Jonah fled. He fled as far away from God as he possibly could. He wanted to be out of the presence of God. He wanted to go somewhere where God simply didn't exist. But guess what? Yeah, there is nowhere that God doesn't exist. Take a look at this. Verse 4, so he gets on that boat. Verse 4, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. The sailors on the boat with Jonah, they're frantic, they're desperate, they're, they're chucking stuff overboard to try to lighten the ship. That's how frantic they are. They're crying out to their own gods. Hang on. 
Jonah hasn't said a word to God yet. In fact, all through this chapter, 17 verses, and it's going to get pretty dark here in a minute, Jonah doesn't say anything to God. And yet you've got these other characters in the story that are doing some really godly things. They're praying. Later on, they'll do something even different. Um, but it, instead, instead of praying, Jonah's chosen something else. Take, take a look. Verse 5. Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Jonah is trying to flee from the presence of God. He gets on a ship headed for Tarshish. He goes down below the ship. He falls asleep. It's like he's that little kid who's playing hide-and-go-seek and who's standing in her living room with her hands over her face, right? I'm going to get on a boat. God won't find me here. I'm going to go underneath the boat. God's not going to find me here. I'm going to fall asleep. God won't find me here. You can't see me, God. Right? And we're told two times in verse 3 that he's running from God like that two-year-old. Verse 6, the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us that so, so that we will not perish. So you've got Jonah, the prophet of God, who's running from God. And then you've got this non-Israelite captain who's shaking him, saying, wake up and pray, right? Wake up and pray. Call out to your God. Verse 7, then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots and find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So imagine the boat's shaking. It's going like crazy. Jonah finally wakes up. He comes up on the deck, and they cast lots. Casting lots is like this, uh, it's like this random game, like rolling dice or eeny, meeny, miny, mo. but it was believed to be a way to discern who God was you know, pointing at. And so they cast lots, and it falls on Jonah. And they say, uh, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? So they, this guy got on the boat with them back in Joppa, and now they're like, all right, you're responsible for this storm. Who, who are you? Tell us about yourself. And he, he answers, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. So try to imagine this. He gets on the boat in Joppa, and he says, I got to get out of here. I'm going to Tarshish because uh, I'm running away from God. And then they get out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, and he says, oh, and by the way, uh, my God is the one who made the sea, right? And so they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What have you done? Right? The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us. As I see it, this right here, this could have been and should have been the turning point in Jonah's story. This was it. The sailors come to him and they say, what do we do, Jonah? How do we make the sea calm down? And what Jonah could have said and should have said was, hold up, hold up, guys. I can take care of this. Let me talk to God for a minute. Let me repent of my disobedience. I was going my way instead of God's way. Let me just, let me just fix that. And, and the sea will calm down, and then you can just take me into port and drop me off because i got some work to do in Nineveh. Right? That's what should have happened, but instead, verse 12, he says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Do you know what Jonah's saying here? It's pretty dark. 
Jonah is saying, I would rather die than give up control to God. I would rather die than give up control to God. Throw me overboard. They're in the, Medi- in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. Throw me overboard. He's not thinking, I'm a pretty good swimmer. You know, I'm from Gath Heifer. I know it's landlocked, but I'm a pretty good swimmer. And I think that shore is that way or maybe it's that way. And just chuck me in and I'll, I'll make, a, make a run for it. No. He knows when he goes overboard, that's it. And he's choosing death over giving up control. He's so committed to his own way or so ashamed of of running from God that he just says, done. But the sailors, they won't do it or they don't want to. Instead, verse 13, instead the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not. For the sea grew even wilder than before. So this is the third time that we're told the sea's getting wilder and wilder. And they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Again, everyone prays but Jonah. They took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. The irony here is that Jonah, who's running away from God, ends up being this kind of uh, unknowing missionary. Because as he goes over the, over the side of the ship, all these people, the sailors on the boat, are making vows and sacrifices to Jonah's God. And now Jonah, he ends up in the Mediterranean Sea. The sea, similar to now, but even more so back then, was seen as this symbol of, of chaos and, and darkness and danger. And so Jonah runs. He knows what God wants of him. He flees from God. He chooses his own way instead of God's way. And when he realizes he can't get away, he chooses the chaos of the sea over the lack of control he has there. He wants to control his actions. He wants to decide his own fate. He wants to get to Tarshish. And now he's totally out of control. He realizes that running is impossible. And he makes makes the darkest choice. Chuck me overboard, he says. And they do. Jonah had given up. He had utterly, 100% given up on God. But, but, don't miss this. Don't miss the grace of God at the end of the chapter. This is the last verse, verse 17. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. This is not your typical rescue, right? Being swallowed by a large fish is not your typical, like, oh, good, now I'm safe. Um, But it's pretty cool. And uh, what we see is that Jonah had absolutely given up, but that God had not given up on Jonah. Take a look at 17 again. The Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. This. This fish, this is the grace of God at the end of this chapter. And, and here's the, the spoiler for next week. Jonah, Jonah gets out. He survives. He's in the fish for three days, and it's not like after that three days he's digested. He actually gets spit out onto dry land. But remember, it's not just a story about Jonah. It's about us. 
because I've tried to get away from God too. I've tried to run. And, and maybe you have, and maybe you've, you've heard the, the call of God to, into some difficult life decision and tried to get away from it. Or maybe you've um, been called into some new challenge and you've tried to get away. Or maybe God's calling you out of a, a life of sin or addiction. Or maybe it's just these small steps that we take every day or every couple days or every so often where it's not like we're running away from God. It's almost like we're inching away, we're sneaking away. There are two points I want to make sure we, we land on from chapter one. Hit them both already, but I want to make sure we get them. First is this. It's a message from Jonah 1. Remember, it's a story about us is that God's call to us is often really clear. We know. Most of the time we know. The, the, the desire of God, it's not, it's not always a grand mystery or a surprise. It's oftentimes really clear. And the second point is even when we choose a way other than God's way, even when we choose that way so often that it's as if we've given up on God, God doesn't give up on us. That's, not, that's simply not something that God does. Just like Jonah, there is absolutely nowhere that we can go to get away from the grace of God. God's grace will find us and surround us and rescue us. Jonah got on a boat headed for Tarshish. He crawled deep into the boat. He fell asleep. He went overboard. He had given up, but God just doesn't do that. So, now we know. But remember, knowing's only half the battle. So what do we do, right? Okay, so we know that God's call is often clear. We know that God doesn't give up on us. But if we leave here with just that, if we leave here saying, okay, uh, two points, that's nice. We go on to what's next. That's only half the battle. We've got to actually do something Try this with me. It might, be, might feel weird, but let's close our eyes. Close your eyes for a minute. And take a deep breath. Maybe another one. And then think about this. God will not give up on you. You may try to move away from God, but God will not give up on you. You may make small choice after small choice, stepping away from God, choosing your way over God's way, exerting your will over God's will, but God will not give up on you. Let that sit with you for a second. So knowing that, Believing that, it should affect how we live. And I, I bet that even as we're sitting here, some of you are thinking about that other person in your life that, that's more blatantly running away from God. Because we can think of those people. And what I want to say to you now is try, try to put that person out of your head and think about the ways that you, you, are choosing your own way instead of God's way because we are all Jonah. I am and you are. So what is it? 
for you? What's the call of God for you? It's crystal clear that you're avoiding. Can you think of it? What's the decision you're making every day, every week, every so often that's a step away from God? It's contrary to God's call. Hold that in your head. Our challenge then is knowing that there's nothing we can do to make it so that God will give up on us. What's the choice we'll make this week or, or even this afternoon that will be a step towards what God is calling us to do, a step towards Nineveh instead of a step away? God, we recognize that we need you. We recognize that uh, you are powerful and you are loving and you are full of grace for us and we need you. And so help us be faithful and obedient. Help us listen well to you and follow you in faith. We pray all this in the name of your son. Amen. Uh, would you stand up with me for a minute? Um, this is the point in our, our worship service where uh, we what, do what's called passing the